Hi, this is Rachel Irvine, the host of that internationallife.com. And before we jump into the next episode, um, I just wanted to say that, uh, well, kind of given a, a background of why I have wanted to start this podcast. And um, for many of you, this might be your first podcast you're listening to, so I hope you enjoy it. And for some, maybe you have come and you've listened to a few and you, you um, are enjoying the stories. But um, I have just been privileged, as I realized looking back over my life, to have met so many people and hear so many amazing stories and, and hear about people's lives. And so often I want to be able to tell other people um, about um, the stories I've heard and about other people's lives and what they've gone through. Um, and yet it doesn't sound the same when it comes from me or even if I'm trying to maybe write it out um, on you know, paper or something, it just, it, it doesn't have the same meaning as, and a lot of people these days don't have as much time to sit down and read. And so, um, and I love audio. And so I hope that as you listen to these stories, you're able to kind of hear and, um, get to know different people and hear their stories and hear how, um, the things that they've learned throughout their life and where they're at and maybe even learn from them, but also just be able to enjoy, um, getting to know um, other people's lives and other cultures and hopefully kind of making the world a little bit smaller. So thanks for listening. And if you enjoy it, you can subscribe at iTunes um, and review it there or on SoundCloud um, or let your friends know about it. Um, but hopefully if you enjoy it, you'll just keep coming back and listening and um, you can send in uh, requests or suggestions, I guess, requests for other interviews or suggestions at rachel at that internationallife.com. So uh, without further ado, we'll jump into the interview. So thanks so much. Hi, and welcome to That International Life, stories from around the world, but mostly from Poland. Today we have a very uh, special guest, uh, Pat George. Hello, Pat. Hello. Oh, see, you're there. Good. Um, yep. Well, Pat, I have known you a while. I would say. I'm know. thinking you were about seven or eight, maybe, when we met. I think that was Beth. I think I was ten. No, no, were no. you ten? Yeah, because I, w- I was ten, yeah. Okay. Beth was, Beth was eight. I'll take your word for it. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I remember it was a big move. I didn't want to move um, up north, but it ended okay. up being a very good good move. Um, yes, so we met because um, we were kind of neighbors. Um, yes. And you own... Uh, you and your husband owned the Grand Canyon Deer Farm? Correct. You still own it, yes, and you did then. <laughs> yes, we do. But, um, so it's, I was, we were talking earlier, and I was telling you it's not every day. You don't think your life is very unique, but um, I've met a lot of people, and so far I haven't met anyone else who owns a zoo or a farm. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, it's pretty unique. Um, yes. But I wanted to ask you a couple questions, like um, how... And when did you buy a deer farm, and why, I guess? There's three for you. Okay. So in 1972, Randy and I were dating, and we came up to Williams area. Actually, we were on our way to the Grand Canyon, and we stumbled across a deer farm. And somehow we never made it to the Grand Canyon that day because we spent the whole day here. And at that point, it was just called the deer farm. Um, In 1973, when we got married... Uh, we were buying a house, and we had to be back and forth for signing papers and what have you. So we came up to the deer farm for our honeymoon because we didn't want to go too far away that we couldn't drive home and do the 
the paperwork on the house in between. So we spent our honeymoon up here, too. And then as we had children, we kept coming back. So by the time we saw an ad in the paper that um, we called on, it wasn't about the deer farm. It was about an RV park. But the man who listed the RV park for sale also, um, which turned out to be like $1.5 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and I laughed, and I said, oh, never mind. Um, he said, well, what were you looking for? Not $1.5 million. <laughs> right. And at the time, uh, Randy was working at Honeywell, and they were cutting back, and we were just looking for something else to do with our lives um, that we could make a living at. And so um, we told him that we loved animals, and we were going to add animals to an RV park because we had visited an RV park in uh, eastern Arizona that had fishing and a petting zoo and horse riding and uh, we thought that would be cool to have an RV park and add, like, a petting zoo or whatever. Anyway, he said he had a zoo for sale. And I said, well, sure, what state? And he said, Arizona. He said, nobody has ever heard of it, but it's the deer farm, the oh, Grand wow. Canyon deer farm. And I said, well, we've heard of it. We've been there lots of times. We honeymooned there. <laughs> we honeymooned there. <laughs> and so uh, we came up that um Labor Day weekend in September 1986, and we talked to the previous owners, and of course we had met them and chatted with them in the past. We, they don't usually announce things are for sale when you go to visit, so mm-hmm. you know we talked to them a lot. As a matter of fact, we talked to the owners of the you know who originally put it together. There were two owners prior to us, and um, and so we talked to them, and and it sounded like a good. Thing. I mean, the price was way more than we could afford, but uh, they were willing to take our house as a down payment and oh, wow. um, a little cash, and uh, and we thought it was a good thing, but they wanted us to take it over in November. And the problem was they shut down in November. Oh, geez. So, um, and they were shut down until April the 1st. So the deal kind of unraveled, and... Um, I was very sad for all winter, and then a, a friend at UPS that I worked at said to me, why don't you talk to them again in February? So I sent them a letter with pictures of us here on a date and said, mm-hmm. we really love this place. We really are interested in it. I don't know if it's still for sale, but we would love to talk about it again. And he called us right away. And God opened all the doors, and we we moved up here in March of 1987. Wow. And so we've been here a long time. Little did we know that right before we bought the farm, um, they were about to shut it down. So had God not moved in that direction for us to come up, the Grand Canyon Deer Farm would be no more. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it was a good thing. It's been a challenging, fun, scary oh, yeah. <laughs> sort of a life. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. So I was curious because um, I can't imagine like the kind of you have a young family and uh-huh. you're trying to decide, OK, we're going to buy this deer farm right. of our family up into a new place. And then like all of a sudden you own a deer farm. Did you have like a background in zoology or something or <laughs> how, how did how did that work? So when we when we bought the farm, I had owned two horses for maybe two years. Oh, you were qualified. 
horse. I had a, a dog and some chickens. Oh, geez. And I don't even think I had a cat at the time. Um, so, but you know what? Um, there are veterinarians around to take care of animals when they're sick. And the, the man that we bought it from was a marketing director from Chicago. Oh, so wow. he didn't know a whole lot about it either. Um, when we bought the farm, he was terribly sick, and his wife came and kind of showed us how to take, how to do the feed. And there was such little feed being thrown out there that I said to her, you know what, I think I got it. And uh, we took over from there. And at the time, there was only deer and one bison, a llama, a couple of miniature horses, a couple of miniature donkeys. There wasn't a whole lot of extremely exotic things. And so we felt pretty comfortable. And there was a couple that worked for them that stayed on with us for a while. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of knew the routine, too. That helps. As far as the store and ordering and all of that, that was all an interesting adventure as well. But um, God is good. And you talked about, yes, bringing a young family up. The broker told us the day we signed the papers, if we didn't increase the profit in the farm by 25% the first year, Actually, 20%, I think, the first year, we would lose everything. Lose the house that we put as the down payment, lose the farm, lose everything. And that was a little intimidating, but we felt so much that God wanted us here that um, he increased it 25% the first year. Wow. So that was a good thing because we, the previous owners carried the note, so we didn't have to worry about a bank coming down on us, but they carried the note and we made the payments to them. And the way the broker set it up is on our busier months, we made the higher payments, and it all worked out. Wow. That's, yeah. a, that's crazy. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah. So um, what were some of your uh, expectations of owning a farm, and then what were some realities? <laughs> <laughs> well, you expect it all to be great fun, but then yeah. animals get sick, and that's always a challenge, and it's sometimes heartbreaking challenge, but... Um, we've had our ups and downs. We had a virus go through that came through some sheep, um, and that particular phase of the farm ownership, I was ready to just up and quit. I didn't even want to come down here because some days you would come down and there'd be another dead deer, and, and it took a while for the vets to figure out what was going on, and it turned out it was a sheep-borne illness that it doesn't harm the sheep, and they never get sick from it, but it definitely can take over on deer and bison and, and cattle and stuff. And um, But uh, we found, uh, through the USDA veterinarian, we found a, a man in Washington State University, a doctor there, that sorted out what it was, and we gave away all the sheep just to move them off the property quickly, and, yeah. and things got better, but... Yeah, that was a pretty traumatic time for us. It was one of those ready-to-give-up moments. <laughs> yeah. But God yeah. brought us through, and, and things are good, and we learned no sheep on the property. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was about the time when you uh, had your first had gotten your first reindeer, right? Right, and you were involved in that. You knew Cheyenne and Jubilee, the first yeah. two reindeer we bought, and we walked them in a parade in Prescott. Well, I think and that— And it was— Yeah, go ahead. And you guys were walking with us, and uh, in two days after that parade, the first reindeer died, and that was our first uh, deer that passed from that malignant catarrhal fever virus, and then it just went on from there. And, yeah, the reindeer were 
fun and and we only had them like four months yeah well and I, now we have them again yeah. so that's a good thing yes yeah i think actually that's one of um one of those memories and because i started helping a little bit thankfully that was willing to take on a a little rug rat to, to help out but um i think that that story and the, that memory because I, w- I went with you to the vet when you took right. the first reindeer and she couldn't mm-hmm. walk and we were helping her into the vet and she was collapsing and i just i mean it still like makes me so sad <laughs> that's, yeah. that's such a and i remember i can't even imagine now like i mean as a kid you you don't necessarily you're you're upset but you don't like i don't i remember hearing pieces of of what the vet had said and what they were trying to figure out but i now it seems like as i think about it as an adult i d- i can't even imagine like the 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 way that you felt as far as just feeling like fr- frustrated and hopeless or you know just helpless thinking yes. like what can i do like what what yeah. how did this happen you know and um, how do you undo it you know and you can't undo it but you can it once you find the source of the problem that's you know then then there was light at the end of the tunnel you know get rid of the sheep that but i mean we had no idea you know we had beautiful asian fourhorn or jacob's fourhorn sheep and um, we had mufalan sheep on the property and we kept them away from the reindeer we did know that malignant catarrhal fever could be a problem with sheep so but only with reindeer we didn't know it would affect other animals and um and it did you know, but the the amazing thing is, the veterinarian in Washington State thought that the bison would be the first to go oh, wow. because they are highly susceptible to that. So, and that was yeah, Marianne. that was a that was a sad moment. Yeah, that was the original Marianne. Yeah, and she lasted through twenty three years. She she just she, ignored she that. She said, that. Yep. "I'm not messing not with that. Going to be infected. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. that's not my problem. <laughs> you yeah, you keep those tough. sheep away. Yeah, uh, yeah, and." Yeah, I was thinking about that, like um, the ups and downs, because um, most people have owned pets, and you know, and you own hundreds of pets <laughs> or animals. I guess you right. can't always think of them all as pets. Well, they're my pets. Yeah, they are. I was going to say family. <laughs> yeah, and so how have you been able to? Uh, I don't know. Just keep going for you know. It's been what thirty, almost 29 thirty, years. twenty-nine years. Yeah. Just yep. being able to, I mean, how do you keep motivated? I mean, obviously you said there's certain periods where it's worse, you know. Yeah, like you that play. was the worst, probably, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and there was that uh, learning moment when we bottle-raised a mule deer buck and he decided to attack us and put three of us in the hospital in very short order. Yeah, um, you should, but, you know, you a should. lot of people thought at that point, why don't you give up? Why don't you sell the farm? You know, but it was one of those things where, again, we were told it could be dangerous, but you don't know how fast it can turn dangerous. Mm-hmm. And probably the best thing that happened to me is I don't have a whole lot of memory of it <laughs> because I was able to continue going in with antlered animals and having no fear, but having wisdom. I mean, I had fear, but cautious fear, not terrified fear. Yeah, And so I learned probably a very valuable lesson on a small mule deer who did nearly kill me. Um, the, the doctors told me to put my affairs in order because I probably would not survive the infection that would potentially be brewing. 
as he did puncture my colon, and they didn't realize that for the first five hours I was in the hospital in the ER complaining about stomach pain. Because I had a concussion, I was not being quite um, clear on what was going on. I guess I would just wake up and complain about stomach pain now and then and lay back down, and they weren't sure what happened or how it happened. But anyway, five hours of stool floating around in your gut is not a good thing. Um, so they said that I probably wouldn't survive, but God had other ideas. They told me at the very least I would be in the hospital for three weeks. Mm. I was out in 10 days. And we learned to sedate deer before we go in to work on them and uh, and to be cautious of any buck that was bottle-raised and or neuter a bottle-raised buck so they don't get antlers at all. Yeah. So that was another lesson learned and another protection from God that, you know, he yeah. covered us. We yeah. all lived to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> and what a story. Yeah. And what a story. Yeah. Well, so that's what I was curious about, you know, because you've, you've shared that story with me. And I was wondering if that was one of the points that you were like, okay, I don't, I don't know if I can do this, you know. Oh, um, it never crossed my mind. As a matter of fact, even though I was in and out of um, my mind with the, the concussion, um, we did not allow the ambulance to leave until the police got off the property. They wanted to shoot that buck. And at the time, he was contained. We were in his enclosure working on a fawn, and so he he came over to kind of poke at us, and, and I tied him to a tree, but the, the rope was new, and so he didn't stay tied to the tree. And when I went to pick up the rope, <laughs> I don't remember anything after that. And um, so mm-hmm. everybody was that came in to help me was also being gored. And uh, when he, um, when we left and got out, everybody got out of the pen finally. The police was going to come and shoot them, shoot him. And it's like, no. I mean, I was even saying no to that, and so were the people who were also gored. It's like, get off the property. You can't shoot him. He's contained, and we'll deal with him when we get back. You know, and I didn't say that. Others yeah. were saying that part. You said your stomach um, so hurts. We just, <laughs> yeah, my stomach was hurting. Excuse me. And so we, um, um, when when I my husband got out of the hospital the next day, I said, first thing, please go sedate that deer and take his antlers off. And that's what we did. And he lived for another four years after that. He ended up getting it. He ended up dying of an infection. Isn't that weird? <laughs> God has a sense of humor. He had an abscess on his face when we got him as a baby. And after that attack, it kept um, growing, and we would have the vet come out and lance it, and he thought we were crazy to try to keep that guy alive when he was trying to make <laughs> us dead. <laughs> but, you know, an animal has natural behavior, Yeah. and when we interfere with that natural behavior, um, we get in the way and we get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so, So you would say the only time that you ever kind of were willing or thinking, I can't do this, was kind of that period when, when the animals were sick yeah <laughs> when the animals and were you, sick no and, you, and yeah. you couldn't figure it out yeah right yeah that uh, was the that was the intense time for me yeah i can imagine um what are some of the stories like some of your favorite uh memories if you can probably pick a few i'm sure there's a lot <laughs> well there was a couple of little girls that lived down the street And I tell the story about these two little gals so many times to so many people that come here. 
They have no idea. <laughs> I think one of them had the name Rachel, and the other one could have been Beth. Mm. And those girls would come down, and they would help with reindeer exhibits. They would muck, <clears throat> muck pens with me. They could match me shovel for shovel. Mm. They knew how to work. They were good girls, <laughs> and I loved them. And now they're adults, and I hear one might be in Poland or something. <laughs> uh-huh. And the other is a nurse. Uh-huh. But they are some of my favorite people who have been part of my life here at the farm over the years. Mm. Well, thank and you. the fun things, going and doing the reindeer adventures was a great, a great kick. And what the girls didn't know, especially when we would go down to Phoenix and Sedona and uh, Chandler and Scottsdale, we went all over the state, um, was that most of the time on the way down, I would ask myself, what in the world are you thinking? You're taking animals with antlers down to walk into a mall. You told the guy you would walk into the mall, and Santa could walk one of the reindeer, and you're going to do this, really? Are you crazy? And every time, every time after signing up for it and agreeing to do it, God allowed it all to work out just great. And yeah. we were busy a good portion of the the winter months with with the reindeer. Yeah, well, and I remember... it was a lot of fun. I remember being at quite a few uh, oh, different events. Like, I think I enjoyed the indoor ones for sure, but um, I think some of the ones that... Uh, the we were at a party in Scottsdale, and there was, like, a snow machine, and if anyone knows, like, Scottsdale doesn't have snow, but it right. was, like, a rich party, and we were just, like, standing there dressed as elves. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember being dressed as an elf a lot and and carrying and leading a deer around and being like, this is the best job ever. I mean, I can't wait for the next one. I get to dress, dress in a felt elf suit and walk around with a, with a, with a reindeer, a live reindeer. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, and going, I don't know if you were involved in ever when we would walk into PetSmart with the reindeer, it was have your... Have your photo taken um, with Santa at PetSmart, and we'd walk in with reindeer. And I don't know why, but Santa always wanted his photo with our pet, and we didn't even have to pay. I know. It's free. Yeah. It always works out like that. I guess if you yeah. go around with a reindeer, you know, you're going to get things yeah. for free. Um, you get attention. Yeah, for sure. And um, do I, Rachel, did you go with me to Phoenix Children's Hospital on occasion? Actually, that's one of the, um, it's interesting that you, you know, you're talking about, you tell the story of what, you know, um, I ended up helping with and being able to help down there. But I, I have so many things that I think I tell the story about when I worked at the deer farm. And also I think that it actually shaped my character so much. And even when I worked as a, a children's coordinator and planned camps and came up with camps, I think we worked with you. Yeah, we worked with you on a few of these uh, leadership camps for fourth or sixth grade. That was what uh-huh. kind of drove me to um, to do that with that age group and with those kids. Was that I? I was like, I would even tell that story. I was like, I went to you know a children's hospital with reindeer and like you know I was impressionable at that age and you're walking around and you're seeing these kids who can't walk and and are sick and you're just you know they're excited but they're also you know hurting and I said that meant so much to me that I could do something so simple and even if they're smiling you know what I mean like and and that's kind of driven me to want to work more with kids especially just to kind of help them to have a compassionate heart 
at such a young right. age, you know, and, and get them involved early so that they don't, you know, have to have to try to learn it later, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I was at it's, that. It's at a that good event. thing. And it was always amazing to get back in the truck and say, oh, did you see that little boy that, <laughs> or did you see that little girl? And, oh, they were so happy. And But then we would be crying because we yeah. knew, you know, and, and I talked to a nurse at the hospital who, the lady who coordinated it, and uh, she said, you know, you can't be sad. You have to think of the fact that you brought them joy. Yeah. And it's true. It is true. You know, whatever we can do in any little way to bring people happiness is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, for sure. Do our best. Yeah. So those were definitely definitely good memories and a lot of fun. Good. For sure. Um, so I guess jumping back into the, the deer farm, I guess I had a couple questions. What were your... Um, some of the um, favorite animals, because like, you have now you have quite a few. You can even probably list some of them, so people kind of get an idea. It's not just deer. Well, the first animal we bought when we came was Mozart, the umbrella cockatoo, and he's still here. And people come back to see that bird. He's a crazy thing. Um, he's probably one of my favorites because he was the first. But I'm, uh, I have so many now because the reindeer obviously are big time favorites. Mm-hmm. And the mule deer, even though the mule deer was cranky with me that one time, <laughs> we still loved him. And of all things, his name happened to be Bambi, by the way. <laughs> um, the doctor said, it could have been any other name. How do I tell my son I'm helping a lady who was attacked by <laughs> Bambi? <laughs> um, but we have porcupines now even. And I am totally amazed how you can be friendly with a porcupine. <laughs> who um, knew? When we bought him from the Wildlife World Zoo... Mickey said, you know, I said, are they friendly? And he said, that's your job. And so when we bought them, they were a little prickly, to say the least. <laughs> um, and we would go in and play with them. But we found that just coming in there with treats made them friendly. So we would hold the treats, and they would actually climb in our laps to get the treats. And I just think it's fascinating to look how God made these creatures. You can, when they're in, their, in your lap especially, look at how neatly the quills are all in place and how they have all these warning signs to let people know, watch out, you're, you're getting going to get in trouble here. Because mm-hmm. they rattle their tail if they're kind of nervous. Um, the first sign is to make their quills extend so they look really big. These are African crested, so they're the black and white, really long quills, mm-hmm. as opposed to the American porcupines. Oh. Uh, I'll be happy to report that the only one who has ever been poked by any of the quills is me for reaching over the top of the female when I first got her to pet her because oh. I, I can't resist. And the quills automatically go up when, when you surprise them. And so I poked myself. She didn't poke me. Um, and they do not throw their quills, which a lot of people think they do. But uh-huh. they are amazing. They're in the rodent family. If you look at them, they have little guinea pig ears and a, a nice sweet face. And they're amazing animals. Mm-hmm. Do yours have orange teeth? They are kind of orange. How yeah. did you know? Well, uh, <laughs> it's like you've seen them. Well, I'm obsessed with zoos, and I'll go. Actually, I have a. a we I, we live pretty close to the zoo uh, in Brasov, um, uh-huh. and I finally bought a year pass because when people would come, I would go, and and it's pretty cool because I can bike there in maybe five ten minutes, and they have all kinds of. They have a pretty nice zoo, but anyway, uh-huh. um, so all my zoo experience, I remember seeing. Uh, the porcupines, they all have these bright orange teeth. And yeah. so I wondered as they get older if they just get more and more orange. <laughs> well, they're probably more yellow than orange uh. so far. But, yes, they. I have noticed 
adult porcupines do get really kind of orangey teeth. But maybe that has to do with a loving pumpkin. I don't know. Oh, see. Ours love to eat pumpkin. Ah, <laughs> maybe they're just stained. I yeah, don't know. I was actually Sweet thinking potato, that. pumpkin, carrot, you know? Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, is it just because, well, but then they, um, at the zoo here, they have these, um, some sort of, they look almost like a, a smaller capybara mixed with a... Um, it's a Patagonian cavy. Maybe that's it. But it's like, and it almost looks like we an have, otter, too. Like a what? An otter. Like, they swim a lot, too. Like, like. Oh, they swim? Oh, that's not a Patagonian cavy, then. Yeah, because this is, it's, I shouldn't, I'll have to look up the name, and I'll put the correct name on the show notes. But, yeah, I was really interested in, because they make this crazy sound the whole time. They're all crying, making the sound, and they're really busy. And they have yellow huh. teeth too. They have like they because it's like they funny. look like beaver. They look like a beaver capybara otter mix. So it's huh. kind of interesting. So I'll have to find the name for you and let you know. There you go. You can add it to your to your next uh, list. Well, so. yeah, we went to Missouri recently, and we had an armadillo, a three-banded armadillo, that we were going to purchase from a man in Florida, but that didn't work out. Um, oh. But when we came back, we were grateful we didn't get that because we held a sloth, and we held lemurs, and we held a fennec fox, and we came back thinking, okay, what's next? Lemur, sloth, fennec fox? <laughs> so we're trying to decide which one would fit best. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. I think, I don't know, fennec fox And the other animals that I love, too, uh, you were asking about here at the farm, uh, the wallabies. Um, I do remember some little gals that lived down the road, same little gals, I think, Rachel mm-hmm. and Beth. They would come and camp out in my living room, and I would take wallabies and feed them in the morning, and to, to wake them up, I would just turn them loose, and they'd hop on their bellies in the in the sleeping bags. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, and I just remember, yeah, being sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag, and, and then Daisy the wallaby would come yep. hop in, and, you know, it was yep. fun, good times. Because I always tell people about that now. I'm like, you just get a bag and you hold it out and they hop in and they do a little loop, a little circle, yep. a somersault, yep. and you clip them with a, you know, big car cable to the side of a pack and play. And then they go to sleep. There you go. There you go. That's how you take and care of a wallaby. Have, right. And we have an albino wallaby now, too. She's gorgeous. Oh, wow. Her name is Hope. So we have Hope and Joy. Joy was born this year and I had her in the house. And I... I um, brought her in at five months, usually, well, I'm sorry, five pounds. Usually you bring them in between two and a half and three pounds because if you bottle raise them after that, they're really tame and, and they will hop in the pouch and it makes it easier for taking them to the vet or anytime you have to bring them in or whatever, you can put them in the pouch and they're secure. Plus you can keep a closer eye on them if you can walk right up to them mm-hmm. and pet them and check their faces and stuff. Joy was a little bit of a handful because I waited too long and she actually... <laughs> was biting and kicking at me when I would try to feed oh, her. No. But she has turned out to be the sweetest wallaby I have ever hand-raised. Oh, man. And that, I can go out there now. She's been out of the house and in the yard since August. And I can go out there now. She comes hopping up to me. I had a flannel shirt on yesterday, and she came over like she was trying to find a way to get inside my flannel shirt. <laughs> and so they are such amazing animals. Oh, man, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's really, that's, that's pretty cool. And wasn't there in, um, this might be a little, another rabbit trail, haha, wallaby trail. Um, was, wasn't there an issue when you first got the wallabies where, um, they were having an issue with the pine needles? Yes, they 
wallabies are prone to get lumpy jaw. Oh. And we did lose a few for that, and I decided not to have wallabies any longer. And then a vet in Phoenix had several, and he wanted us to take them. Um, so I did. And we did lose one or two of his, who he said had lumpy jaw, but he had cured them from it. Mm-hmm. But one was older, and she had another bout of it. And so we lost her and one other. And then I did some research, and I found if you offer them branches to chew on, mm-hmm. um, they will actually, t- that toughens their gums. And so, thank God, we have not had an issue. Wow, since. that's cool. So it, was, so just, it was just branches that you gave them. Branches to chew on toughens their gums. I would have thought, you know, it would be dangerous because a sharp point on a branch, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it just it just makes they love to chew on them and we have patagonian cavies in with our wallabies too which is what i thought you were referring to oh, yeah. as the small capybara um and they love to chew the branches so when the wallabies see them chew them they kind of they all get involved and it's a good thing yeah, <laughs> it helps them out that's awesome um yeah. well if you um or what what are some animals that you are um r- hoping that you might someday be able to have on your farm are there some that aren't in your wish list? Do you have? Well, that's list? what I was just talking about. Was the uh, sloth? Oh, right. Or, or the um, fennec fox, or but, the lemurs. But what decision? Like, what what goes into making that? Because obviously, I mean, if I were you, I'd just be like, I'm going to take all three. I know. Well, a cost yeah. because a sloth would be six thousand or above. Oh yeah. Um, which is one thing, but then. Uh, um, an enclosure that you could keep them comfortable in is a uh, big importance to me. I go to places and I look at, at things and I think, well, gosh, if I had something like that, people would complain or I would think it was not big enough. So mm-hmm. you always have to look at your spacing and the comfort of the animal. Mm-hmm. Um, we were offered some batongs, which are really cute, almost like micro mini wallabies. Mm-hmm. They kind of fit in your hand. And we were offered them for free, but they would have to almost be inside because out here you would have hawks or something that would haul them away. Oh, no. And so um, you, have to, you have to look at everything. What we try to do when we're looking at adding animals is go to people who have them and see how they house them and what kind of enclosures they require, what kind of care they require, vet care, what kind of feed they require. So um, the interesting thing about a sloth is most places don't have a huge spot for them because they just kind of they're happy to climb like upside down around branches i mean it would be kind of fun to have them hanging around (laughs) inside the store i could i could picture that Um, and that would be where a sloth would have to be would be somehow inside the store where it would be warm enough Mm -hmm. because obviously they don't take the cold yeah and or we would have to have a big enough enclosure outside with heat to, to contain them the other thing was a lemur's because when we went and visited a zoo where, where we delivered our wallaby Dundee to, they had um, lemurs that you could walk in with and you would have craisins in your hands or the cranberry raisins. And they would climb all over you to get those. And it was amazing, totally amazing. I could, I could imagine people just going crazy with that because lemurs are so beautiful. I mean, their eyes are expressive. Their little hands have no fingernails but almost like suction cup tips mm-hmm. on their hands. And so they would climb up to us, eat the craisins off my hand, jump down, 
climb up on Amy and eat her craisins and jump down. Yeah. And, I mean, they would, like, leap to the side and down. It, it was just so fascinating watching the way they move, the way they eat, their social structure inside the enclosure. Mm -hmm. um, so lemurs would be extremely exciting as well. But then the fennec fox is so cuddly and cute, but they're a little high-wired. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the fox. We would have to find one that would be okay with with the, the deer farm and all the things here. I've seen some that are very sociable um, in a family situation, which I'm amazed at. And I've seen others that in a zoo, they look like they're always on edge. Mm -hmm. So we would want to make sure if we got one that we could make it as comfortable and happy as possible mm -hmm. and yet be loved on. Yeah. There's a, a Finnick fox here at the zoo in Brasov. Uh -huh. And every time, like, a, they have, like, a, it's a pretty small, I guess it can go inside, but it's a pretty small outdoor enclosure and the grass is really tall. So it's, it's like, harder to find it. But usually they're kind of running around, like, nervous, right. like how they're kind of yeah. hyper. But yeah, like, they seem to pace a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so far, I've never seen one that um, that doesn't have like something like the first time it something in its mouth. The first time it came running up, I was like, oh, look, it's so cute. Oh, the, that's duck feet sticking out oh. of its mouth. And then <laughs> the next time I was like, oh, it's so oh, that's that's a mouse tail. And it's like running around. <laughs> so I, I think like I to eat. Yeah. And I, I think I have. I have more stories about, I think I, I had a, a few times of visiting the zoo where it was feeding time every time. So wow. it was it was pretty intense owls eating and it seemed like there was just baby ducks everywhere being, yeah. you know, devoured. That's the other thing. We, we kind of like the animals that eat grass and natural or, you know, things that you grow rather than little animal critters. So um, we, we like... Um, non-carnivorous critters on our property mostly. <laughs> yeah, it kind of works out. Yeah. yeah. Works works for everybody. So, well, that's all that's pretty exciting and I really appreciate being able to hear more um about your your adventures and and why you bought the farm and and how you're still there. And so what is the plan? Do you plan to just um continue working? <laughs> you I mean, is there any time that you're like, "Oh, I just want to I want to be done. I want to I want to we are we are considering retirement because we're getting up there. I mean, we were young when we bought the farm. Retirement sounds really good. We just have to we have to find someone who could buy the farm and run it as it should be run. Yeah. You know, open to the public and and excited people who love animals. You you know, there's a lot of people out there willing to invest in something, but with animal businesses like this you have to invest in your time yeah. and having somebody else run it would be really tough i mean we are here pretty much all the time it's getting hard sometimes to have vacations together there's been years where it's been easy and there's years where it's difficult mm -hmm. um but now the older we get and shoveling that snow with my helpers now in poland and working yeah. as a nurse you know it's a little challenging to try to keep up <laughs> yeah and there's been a couple of years where randy and i have been out there literally um, shoveling on our own because nobody else could get here when the highways are shut down. So, But the animals are always fed. Whether we get all the pathways cleared, the animals always get fed yeah. in the snowstorms. And even that can be a big task. Oh, yeah. That's, there are a lot of animals. I, 
I just emphasize again that it's not just a little, a few deer and a few other animals. It's a, it's a cool, it's a, it's a zoo. It's a miniature zoo. Right. So it's really exciting. Yep. And you get to walk in with the deer, which is pretty great. And, right. and you if, can kiss a camel. I was going to say, that's not my next camel. Yeah. I was going to say, you get to, you know, if you're lucky, you can kiss a camel. And you, we did offer, now we have some encounter programs that we're just starting out. Uh, this year, actually, we started it where if you have ever wanted to pet a porcupine for an additional fee, you can do that. And Ooh. I think that's one of our most fabulous things. And people are are willing to pay, and sometimes they go in with trepidation, like, I'm not sure <laughs> if I want to I wanna go in there or not. But um, we are very careful to make sure everybody has a good time. Also, uh, we have an encounter with the Patagonian caveys and the wallabies for oh, a little nice. bit extra, so people can get up close to that. Uh, those animals that are really wonderful, or our Cotamundis. So the Cotamundis are little raccoon-type critters, and they're wild and crazy. And when we have an encounter with them, we usually bring the two in that are absolutely sweet, and you can sit down and love on them too. So um, animals are are a big thing, and people love them. Some people love certain animals more than others. And in years past, if we weren't too busy, I would take somebody in here and there. The hard part is somebody on the outside season they want to come in so you spend your whole day in and out with yeah with visitors so we had to make it to where you pay a little bit extra to have one-on-one attention yeah yeah that's and great it's a fun thing yeah so well if if you're listening and you um are in arizona or going there it's definitely worth your time and and now you know about the the inside you know the inside track you can do the the encounter with the different the animals. Encounter. Yeah, pet a porcupine. So that go. actually sounds pretty cool. I haven't met the porcupine yet, but when I go back, I'm going to have to go meet the porcupine. Yep. We'll let you pet it, no charge. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, I don't know. I should probably pay you since you've been so kind to share your time with us today. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, yeah, if, if you're listening and you want to know more um, about the, the deer farm, um, I will have a link on... Um, on the show notes at thatinternationallife.com and you can um, click on the link and find out more about the deer farm where it's located and hopefully plan your next trip or your honeymoon like Pat and Randy. There you go. You know, that, that works out as well. And um, yeah, so subscribe on iTunes or uh, SoundCloud or wherever you listen to your podcasts and um, thanks for listening and until next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.